Police are today undertaking a major operation to clear the roads. Protesters are starting to congregate around, so blocking the roads. In just over an hour, Parliament's grounds have gone from tense to anarchy to lifeless. Pitchforks, we've seen uh, sticks and pipes not only presented at police doors. And then I heard this explosion, and then I got hit with a um, is it an air bullet. I was like crippled on the ground for about 10 minutes and I couldn't breathe. Protesters are, are definitely a little bit hostile. We just heard a loud bang. I'm not sure exactly what that is. We've kind of been hearing them uh, go off sporadically. It was an attack on our frontline police. It was an attack on our parliament. It was an attack on our values, and it was wrong. Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett Kelly, and those are the scenes from day 23 of the occupation of Parliament's front lawn, the day the police moved in and moved the protesters on. On the detail, we talked to reporter Charlotte Cook from RNZ and staff's Thomas Manch, who were there before daybreak. I showed up at work at about 5am, I think it was, or about there, because we, we had some suspicion that something was going to happen. I mean, you know, I think Andrew Costa, the police commissioner, said this morning that there were 500 police in Wellington for, for yesterday's operation, as they call it. And um, that doesn't, you know, you don't get 500 um, police officers in a city without people noticing. Mm-hmm. It was clear that there was going to be a lot of action. Police had already brought in tens of, of these concrete, massive concrete blocks they've been using to obstruct cars from entering the occupation zone and I went down to the protest with one of our visual journalists Robert Kitchen and for about an hour it was very quiet it was there was a sense of agitation among the few that were up in the protest um, camp. What, what, um, in what way? They, I mean they knew something was going to happen too um, they, they'd been talking about it on their channels um, again they'd noticed some of those those signals that we had noticed and so there was a lot of anticipation I think um, they had their what they call their security guards, their walkie-talkies or radios, communicating with each other. They were flashing strobe lights in our faces. And then at about 6 a.m. or it was certainly well before dawn broke, the police eagle helicopter was in the air, and that basically that was the that was the start of it. That that signalled that it was beginning. And everyone was very on edge, though. The police came out of the back of Parliament and marched down the street, down past. Lampton Quay and then along Stout Street where protesters were yelling, they were upset, they were angry, they could see and I think they all knew that something was going to happen but what that looked like they weren't sure. So as the police marched down the road towards the railway station, protesters got angrier and angrier. Protesters are starting to congregate around, so blocking the road. And I watched them pick up the big orange cones and throw them at the police who were marching. Nearly being caught in the crossfire of some cones being thrown at the officers. They're um, trying to get in front of the cars that are leading sort of the march up the street. People diving in front of the police car to stop them in their tracks and that was sort of the starting point where I was like actually this this day is increasingly uh, getting more more aggressive and it's it's only going to go up from here very very tense and a lot of very hostile and vulnerable people at, at that time in the morning as well what do you mean by that 
I think that early in the day was probably when I got hassled the most being part of the media is because they're like, how do you know to be here? Why are you here? What are you doing? Are you telling the truth? What are you telling? What are you saying? And they're they're very um, untrusting and and unnerved. I think to be to be on high alert all night and then have the situation unfolding in front of them, I find it genuinely distressing for for them to. You know, they were very upset. They said that you had had some kind of tip off that there was going to be this big police operation. Yeah, and I, I think they felt like it reinforced their narrative of we don't trust the mainstream media. What what are they doing? Who are they in cahoots with? Why do they know more than us? And I think our presence there upsets them further and, and pushes them deeper down that rabbit hole of we have uh, another agenda to to get out. Today was definitely the most intense and also the, the most, my adrenaline was pumping and it's been pumping all afternoon. I haven't been out of sleep despite, you know, not really sleeping last night and waking up at four. It was the first time that I'd felt genuinely a little bit afraid and um, kind of always looking over my shoulder, checking my back, seeing who was around me. It was very fight or flight kind of situation to be in. And um, there were a couple of times where I was doing live crosses from the middle of protesters sort of surrounding me. And I was like, actually, Charles, probably not your best move. You you gotta you gotta think it was choreographed, you know. There were a hundred or more police officers marching down Bowen Street from the back of Parliament down to where the cenotaph is, and at the same time, two corrections, massive corrections, custody vehicles drove past up towards the back of Parliament. I I, I didn't know how it was going to play out, and I thought, gosh, maybe they'll just start locking everyone, start arresting everyone right now. You know, mm. it gave us immediate pr- impression that something was going to happen. Those police officers then moved around the law school to the end of Bunny Street. And I think it was a diversion. I think it drew a lot of people from the camp who were, who, who you know, at this point, horns start blaring, people start yelling, um, indicating to each other that, that you know, the police are here. I think it drew a lot of people down to that end of the occupation camp. And uh, within about 15 minutes or so, I was inside the camp at that point and I'd lost lost track of uh, the photographer. Robert. And at that point, protesters started yelling about Hill Street again, where we had been previously. And and so I went back up there and police had basically put a circle around the intersection there and were keeping the protesters away. And they were, they'd claimed the territory of the fabricated toilets that we've seen there. And was this like the first hour? Yeah, that, that was just the first hour or so. I mean, that was before daybreak. So from that point, they started picking off the tents around the cathedral there. Some were in tents in the Wellington Cathedral and left with their uh, belongings. Others were saying that they got kicked out of that area without being able to access their belongings. Um, and the bishop was, was sort of standing around there. He didn't really want to talk, but um, it was clear that he was upset with where things had got to. He he was just keeping an eye on things. He was just standing. He was standing outside. He'd had some communication with the protesters, I think. Um, but, but yeah, I tried to speak to him, but he, but he, he didn't want to talk. But at that point, they started picking off the tents and it was clear that they were going to be very serious. You know? Were you in amongst the protesters during this time? Yeah, so, I mean, for the purposes of reporting, basically all of, all of the media contingent there 
there were because um, at that point there wasn't sort of distinct front lines of the police officers. You know, they were they sort of claimed that centre space in the intersection and then they they pushed from the outside on Aitken Street and Hill Street, pushed down as well, you know, and gathered all the people and eventually managed to push the majority of the post protesters down onto Molesworth Street and create a front line there. So by about mid-morning, I'd imagine, they claimed the from they claimed all the the area north of Molesworth Streets. They'd taken a corner of the Parliament grounds at the Parliament at the Parliamentary Library, and from there they were just working on clearing that whole area before they moved forward again. So that was sort of the strategy. It seemed as they would advance, claim a bunch of the territory, clear it out with the with the forklift, and then they would move again. In front of me now, there's police of Brassfield pushing against protesters. And a couple of the protesters have looked like bread baskets that they're using as shields. There is some pepper spray in this area too, so I've just had to turn my back for a second uh, so it doesn't go in my eyes. A surreal scene here at Parliament. We have the, the wind and rain's just picked up again. We still have a line of police on the forecourt. A chopper overhead, uh, reggae playing um, interspersed with police messages telling people to move on, that they are trespassing. And at that time, did you think that by the end of the day, the whole place would be cleared out? We rushed to a, a press conference with Police Commissioner Andrew Costa, and I can't recall the time, I'm afraid. It might have been about midday, even 1pm. Yeah, it was just before I, midday. And even at that point, it wasn't clear how long it would take. I asked Andrew Costa, like, will, it, you know, will you be doing this 24-7 until it's done? We will continue this operation until it is completed, uh, and that will take as long as it takes. So is there any timeline on that at all? Or? When, when the job is done, then we will be finished. And, and by complete, he meant removing all of the tent structures, removing all of the vehicles, basically eliminating the protest. He wouldn't even speculate on, on how, they, you know, how long it may take or whether they would run through the night. And so it wasn't, it, it wasn't certain. I was about to go home at about 2 p.m., 3 p.m., and then it was apparent that they were going to push on through Parliament grounds. From when the, from the point they entered Parliament grounds, it was very clear that they were going to finish it by the end of the day. They have essentially gained back the top half of Molesworth Street and Hill Street, and these uh, protesters are pushing up against them, angry that they have lost their ground. Police, you know, took apart tents and trampoline, even a trampoline. They've taken away portaloos and the toilets that were set up. And these protesters aren't happy to see that they have lost ground, that they essentially made their home for the past 23 days. You haven't got time to think about it while you're in amongst it. But did you, how safe or how unsafe did you feel? There were definitely some some hairy moments. About mid-morning, I went in again with visual journalists and we were we were live streaming from, from the protest side from outside the Court of Appeal, where the conflict was really starting to heat up. We had people starting to throw, to throw things at police officers. They were using their, they had these, this big speaker, the sounder, to, to tell everyone to leave the area. People were sort of trying to hose, hose the police officers. And at that point, a few of the particularly um, aggressive ones who had been forced away by other protesters from the front line because they were, they were too agitated, decided to turn on us. So we were, we were rolling live and we sort of got mobbed out of the, out of the protest site um, by a whole group of people who were very angry, very threatening um, and very aggressive. I had another man screaming in my face at one point, do you just have to move away very quickly because you just, you don't know where it's going to go. 
after that, we, we made the call that we, we, we couldn't put ourselves in that situation again, basically, as the day progressed. After midday, it sort of felt that um, the focus was away from, from the media entirely, really. They, um, they had bigger problems to deal with, you know, and so it, it didn't feel as unsafe first day, you know. Mm. But then there was, I mean, we had reporters down there when, when um, bricks were being thrown. I was actually manning the live stream camera at that point, which is not really my job. Yeah, it was an incredible vantage point um, <laughs> to it all. It was impo- from where I was standing, and I was on on the Parliament's balcony at that point, and we were looking down at it, and so we were watching the police advance, and they had their their most sort of the the really fully kitted out right squad police in the front line there, pushing, 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 pulling tents away, pushing, 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 and pulling tents away, and then at some point a fire started, and I'm not really sure how that happened. I don't even know if yeah, I'm not. It was. It was quite sudden, and it happened in amongst some large tent structures. There's a fire way down there. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't even visible at first um, that it was a fire. There was just a lot of smoke, but mm. there'd been so much, you know, there'd been fire extinguishers sprayed and so much other sort of dispersal of aerosol type stuff that it was kind of unclear immediately. And then you saw, you just see that from the corner of one of the big tents, just you know, the um the flicker of flames. And yeah, it sort of escalated from there. Um police tried to move forward, I think, to get sort of like establish the area, but then it ended up moving back. The protesters started throwing items onto it, including LPG canisters. It's quite remarkable that no one was more seriously hurt. There were multiple fires lit. I've seen videos on um on protesters um, sort of communication communication of showing people lighting the fires you know in, in amongst yeah. tents and there must have been I, don't, I would say four or five maybe six fires lit at that point uh, uh, including down near the cedar as well they're quite startling scenes at times i mean one moment in one of the later fires as police moved their way through the grounds there was a man wearing a, like a full gas mask fully rubber with big sort of gas canister type things on the front and he was walking up and down the, the front of the, one of the fires in the police line in between a fire and a police line just holding a sign saying make influenza great again all the while the the police's um, device was projecting this penetrating piercing siren sound to try move people on absolutely chaotic how long did you stay there for I was there until about 7pm last night, I think. It's hard to leave, you know. Mm. Um, you, you're running on adrenaline. So you were there as it moved off the Parliament grounds and then it moved on to the streets of Wellington. The, the riot police are moving down towards the bus interchange at quite some speed now. So they're moving down the road uh, between Victoria University. In fact, they're kind of running in my direction, so stay on the line for as long as possible. It got very chaotic there. That's when bricks were being lifted and thrown. Um, another reporter we have saw a man um, pull, uh, sort of holding a Molotov cocktail, but he got sprayed by a um, fire hose before he could make use of it. So, yeah, that's when it, it started to get really quite ugly. Some footage that was seen, I think, last night um, of someone who's erratically driving a car through the crowd, um, even, um, which fortunately didn't um, eventuate into anything worse. You know, come... 6 p.m. about um, police had basically moved them all the way out and and onto onto the traffic of um, Feverson Street, Thorndon Quay, outside the Wellington train station, which I thought was an unusual move. I didn't quite understand why why they were 
pushing them into into traffic, basically disrupting traffic. There were buses that were stuck in amongst the crowd. People, the, you know, um, the protesters were throwing apples everywhere. The um, the but I suppose the logic was force them off their occupied territory, do all the clearance, and eventually they will disperse. And that seems to be what happened overnight. We have observed an escalation in concerning behaviour, which has ultimately resulted in today's action. What do you make of the operation, the police handling of it? Pretty well thought out, you know. Um, there was a point in the morning when fire trucks arrived, and a few of us were asking, "Well, I wonder why they're here." You know, they've got enough. They've got a, they've got a lot of ambulance staff here. It's interesting that they've got fire trucks here. I mean, they obviously anticipated that fires might be lit, for instance. And in terms of the the use of force, I mean, it's not really a judgment call for me to make, but it's. I think it's notable that you know batons weren't used. Rubber sponge rounds were used at certain points, mostly when um, other projectiles started to get thrown at, at the police. For the most part, it was just pushing with shields. And there's no doubt that there's a brutality to it. But uh, you've, got to, you, you've got to think it could have been a lot worse. The whole thing, 23 days of occupation, how do you think the police will be judged for that? When it all comes out in the wash, as they've been saying around Parliament halls, any finding will, will, will suggest that it could have... It could have been resolved sooner, possibly. If there was a better understanding from police about how, how and what might occur, maybe they would have done things differently back then, I imagine. But once the camp really started to grow and you saw that, that first weekend group effectively turned into a festival, it's clear that it was too it was too large, too large and too unwieldy to do anything without great harm. There were children there, there were elderly people there, there were there were disabled people there, very vulnerable people there that would have fallen to harm if, if they'd done anything differently. It's it's really hard to say because it's kind of peaked and troughed a lot as well. So like you've had those weekends where it's been really busy and there's been people from all over the country there uh, from all different causes who, who, who weren't aggressive but were, were maybe, you know, angry. Um, and then there's been moments like it had been getting to in recent days where it's just a hardcore sort of um, aggressive group you know and is that what you picked up as well because you've been going down there so often I mean Costa talked about that didn't he how in the last week we've seen a changing mix in the makeup of the crowd in particular we've become concerned that those with good intentions are now outnumbered by those with the willingness to use violence to affect their means from late last week it was, it was really clear that that the group there was was the hardened anti-establishment like angry they weren't gonna they weren't gonna move unless they were displaced basically you know um and it wasn't it wasn't the festival atmosphere that it had been earlier now all that's left is a brown miserable lawn covered in rubbish bits of tent and just scraps of what was convoy 2022 i feel wiped and i am am in awe of Oh, so many things, the officers that have been standing there for hours and hours and hours against this constant barrage of abuse and chatter and misinformation being pushed at you. But but also just, you know, it feels like such a distant memory that the parliament forecourt and grass area was green and luscious and, you know, it was the kind of place you wanted to take your shoes off and, and rub your toes in the grass. Like it was, it was beautiful. It was luscious. And then seeing it come to life in this sort of village and WOMAD style, very summer festival party 
where you know everyone looked like they were having a good time to then this violent hostile upsetting situation to then this burnt out lawn covered in hay and broken tents footpaths no longer with bricks anymore it's it's just it's still going through my head I'm in shock it's it's I just can't comprehend what we've seen over the past three weeks We have a difficult journey in front of us to address the underlying cause of what we have seen here today. But in doing so, we will never, ever excuse it. This will now become more of a political issue. Christopher Luxon, the National Party leader, was yesterday signalling that he had strong feelings, I think was the phrase, or strong views about about how it had been handled overall. Um, but he wasn't going to share them at this point because he wanted to give police the space to run their operation. So, you know, I think you'll soon see him turning around and using it as an attack on the government, basically. And then there's another element, and I mean, Ardern acknowledged it. One day, it will be our job to try and understand how a group of people could succumb to such wild and dangerous myths and disinformation. And while many of us have seen that disinformation and dismissed it as conspiracy theory. A small portion of our society have not only believed it, they have acted upon it in an extreme and violent way. It's like a test, isn't it? I mean, it's like we're three years now after the March 15 attack, almost, sorry, and we're supposedly doing social cohesion work. Misinformation, disinformation is still a very live issue. And I think it's a moment to say, like, what has the government done in this space so far and what can it do now? It's, it's a gnarly issue and it's, it's not something that's easily tackled, but, but maybe there's more that can be done. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to Thomas Manch and Charlotte Cook. Ka kite. Ka kite.